0: You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. I was born in the desert, came all up from New Orleans. Came upon a
1: tornado so loud in the sky.
2: I'll
1: wheel around all day with the moon sticking in my eye.
0: All right, for this episode, we'll be talking about Captain Beefheart and his magic band, the album Safe as Milk. In the room, I have Rob Hello. and Ben. Hello. Safe as Milk is the debut album by Captain Beefheart and his magic band, released in 1967 on Buddha Records. It was produced by Richie Perry and Bob Cransnell. The genre is blues rock, garage rock, and acid rock. A childhood friend of Frank Zappa, who gave Van Villay his pseudonym of Captain Beefheart, was a quirky, inventive, and one of the most underappreciated musical forces of the 60s music explosion. The Captain's debut album is one that invokes strong opinions, whether you like it or not, but Safe as Milk is probably his most accessible album and a strong introduction to the musical stylings of Captain Beefheart. The album stays close to his love of blues, Delta Blues, and the opener Sure Enough and Yes I Do could have come straight from a Howlin' Wolf record. But the record isn't just rehashing blues standards or relying on 12-bar blues arrangements. The key changes the tempo switch as the band pull in and out of traditional structures completely. The 20-year-old Rykooter guitar is precise, clean, and his slide guitar moves in the grooves of drums and bass, keeping a tight sound without being too flashy, all the while, Captain's growling vocals send shivers up the listener's spine. That album has been recognized as an underground classic and absolute genius by countless music critics. What did we think of Safe as Milk? Pleasantly surprised. Why were you surprised? Because I've heard other
2: Captain Beefheart records. and Trout, I, Trout Mass. I've re- heard Trout Mass Repl- okay. Replica. And I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not there yet. You know, like I don't know what kind of mindset you need to be in to to like put on Trump replica and be, be like, "Yeah, dude." Is that Zach DePew. Yeah, you, you have to be in. Yeah, Zach <laughs> DePew mindset. But uh, I I had heard that "Safe as Milk" was more safe as accessi- milk. Milk. <laughs> All right, thank you. M- milk. Uh, I'd heard it was his. I'd heard it was his most accessible album, but you know that could. be have been anything anything is more accessible than his later work and so then what you know when I put it on and it's definitely eccentric but it's so rooted in like bluesy garage rock that this is my wheelhouse I, I I'm i into it like this is just some like heavy garagey rock and roll there's some parts of it that like almost sound like, t- like 10 20 years later it could be like a stoner metal riff yeah. Uh like on like a dropout boogie. <laughs> uh yeah, I, I I was into this. I like this.
0: Yeah. That's my take. Yeah, i have definitely uh when I got introduced to this, I think it was in college. Um Of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you was it my when everyone's idea? like uh no, is before that, but everyone's he definitely helped to uh push it. Uh but everyone's kind of into Beefheart, or zappa or you know like doing checking out weird stuff but it represented definitely this album represented a here's a clear clear and cut you know we're gonna take the and wolf blues we're gonna take the delta blues what you've already what you know and love but now we're gonna twist it and we're gonna put those like riffs in there and it's not going to be the same time signature it's going to be something completely different than you've heard but also keeping in that 60s you know vibe the psychedelic vibe kind of acid rock so you, it, it combines everything that i i sort of love in into one where it's like this like originating from africa to delta blues into electric guitar mm-hmm. so it's like amped up and then you put this like acidity, like weirdness in it, and the the mesh of like the jazz, like different time signatures. Yeah. So all that coming together, and then his voice is like that that growling voice. It, it's just you mentioned like like so Wolf. so cool. Yeah. Uh, he apparently the funny thing too is is uh, he ha- he ha- supposedly had an incredible vocal range, four and a half octaves is what they said. Really. Yeah, and you'll you'll hear in in different recordings like uh, how how high he can he can get. I think it's just because he has it. he he does that low voice, but he can he can go higher. Huh. Rob, what do you think of it?
1: Um, the opening track I wrote down for sure enough, and yes, I do. I just wrote. It. Is this blackface question mark? Oh. Um. If you listen to the vocal inflection, I found uh, it—it kind of hurt my feelings. It was problematic, hmm. and it's a—it's uh, delivery. It seemed a, uh, seemed a little more so than like other blues rock. Yeah, man. Like it, it was almost a caricature. Like yeah. it, not—not not great. And I uh, honestly, I'll—I I'll, I don't know if I said this last week, but like we—we—we've we, had we we've we've had some records to uh to try to digest and they weren't all great and this was the last of the ones that i had been on and i was not in a very good mood <laughs> <laughs> um upon a second listening i actually I, I found a lot of it to be more uh, way way more in my um uh, my wheelhouse if we can use that expression um but yeah i just won't ever on purpose go back and listen to this, but I, I, I get it. And, uh, like Trout Mask replica, not a fan of it, a fan of a lot of bands who are a fan, a fan of it. So, like, I, I consider Captain Beefheart as one of those, like, uh, like creators that, like, made things that people I appreciate were influenced by. Like Zappa. Um, like i I know that they were like buds at one point in time, but they, they had, grew they, up together right mm-hmm, they they had a significant falling out, if I'm not mistaken, and uh it but yeah i mean they're they're both doing pretty off the wall shit, so I'm not surprised
2: them. that they had a falling out.
1: they both kind of had issues keeping band members around. I think
2: they both were kind of for better or for worse, opinionated dudes, yeah. And yeah they, they both had the, the same dilemma of they couldn't keep a band around them for more than a few albums at a time. So the the fact that their personalities clashed with each other does not surprise me really at all. <clears throat>
1: This is way easier on the ears than a uh, trap mask replica. Yeah, at least for me. So yeah,
0: it keeps that that blues roots, mm-hmm. the the blues roots, um, and I, I think it's uh, interesting to get your guys' take on this because we have been listening to a lot of um, blues recently with you know uh, uh, blues breaker in uh, mm-hmm. yard birds in yard birds yeah. and, and that kind of stuff, and and it hasn't been quite well received. and the the interesting thing that I've always gravitated toward is that sort of like Delta blues mm-hmm. or the like Southern blues which the blues that the it,
2: British bands were were kind of emulating was more of a Chicago Chicago style, blues like an
0: urban blues exactly and that's where what you guys would typify uh, typically say your dad's blues yeah. or something is like that dad Chicago, blues dentist Chicago blues Chicago blues and where I I find it so engaging that heart pulls in the, the original um, sort of like Delta blues mm-hmm. into his, his like weirdness. I, I have always
2: been more of a fan of stuff that's influenced by the more like rural Delta Hill Stomp style blues. than you know, Chicago blues, it's just like, there's only so much you can do with 12 bars and turnarounds without sounding wanky. You know, it's like me personally. It all it all starts to sound kind of similar. It's such such a a self imposed structure to it. The further south you go with the blues, the more room to breathe there is. The more the more it's it's less defined by oh you do these twelve bars and this type of solo, and more it's defined by just kind of like a, a feel and an attitude and a, a groove. And I, I I can get behind that yeah. more like bands that are influenced by that I think you have more to draw from personal aesthetic
0: yeah, yeah. cool Robbie you were talking about the inflections that he kind of had on the uh, really the, was the, the early the opening, opening, track, opening. track okay is, I was going to ask the about one... the like the doo-op because they uh-uh. kind of do that sort of like
1: no honestly huh. the the opening track it was the only one I was like oh what, what
0: that's really interesting because I
1: can you put it on for me
0: yeah yeah uh-huh. uh. I had never really thought about that because his his gravelly voice had always... He's got this, like, real weird... This, like, weird vo- vocal... How he does his vocals is, like... And I could definitely see that he would be influenced by... And again, I, I was
1: coming off a really bad few records. Like I can definitely hear the influences. It, yeah, it, it's not nearly as offensive on the third listen. <laughs> Seriously, guys, you're still Ugh. still pissed off from that country Joe. Oh my god. Oh my god.
0: Yeah. What I had always gotten is he gets those like weird, almost like whistles, like he. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. It's like those uh, the inflections he's doing is like. Hugh. Yeah.
2: Puts it at, up or at something. The end of a phrase. He's tri- yeah.
0: He's trying yeah. to like, he's not even saying he's like born in the like, what a <laughs> the- field or anything. You know, like I was born in the desert. I mean, that's a that's a different. It's not like talking about that. Yeah. Upon re listening to
1: this, I will yeah. absolutely own yeah. that I was incorrect.
0: No, yeah. I, I think that's interesting though, because I, that's something I, I kind of hear oh. where that's going or where mm-hmm. that came from. So it's, I think also
2: both like the guitar riff and the opening line that he says are direct references to two different blues songs. Yeah, I I, I forget which ones. I read that
1: the drums like, on that are so man. fucking weird too for the uh, yeah. like for the style. Like, yeah, no, th- th- there's some there's some neat stuff happening on this record. Yeah,
2: the guitar work on this record I think is really cool and right. Rikuter, twenty year old Rikuter, twenty years old, fresh out of Taj Mahal's band. <laughs> So it's cool. It's cool. So you're 20 years old and your credentials are you've played with Taj Mahal. Well, and, and now Captain Beefar. Yeah. <laughs> and that's your resume. Like you're going to, you're, you're this 20 year old, fresh faced kid. You go to Captain Beefar and he's like, well, what do you know? Like, well, I played with Taj Mahal. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the guitar work on this record is noticeably cool. The, the slide work, it doesn't sound forced. It sounds so natural. Uh, it, it sounds easy. He, and he's in the pocket. Uh, he was, And he was only with him for this one record. Yeah. It's a cool story about why he left. Uh, tell me the story. <laughs> <laughs> so, to promote this record, uh, Captain Beefheart and his magic band were booked to do the 67 Monterey Pop Festival, just like just about every band we've been talking about recently. Yeah. And the lead up to that festival, they were playing, it was basically, it was considered kind of like a, a crucial rehearsal show at a smaller festival right before. It was like the, uh, the Mount Timalpius Fest, but it was like a warm up fest for, for them and a few of these other bands. Old Don Van Vliet, so, you know, he was, he was on a lot of LSD and the band goes into uh, Electricity. Which we're listening to in our headphones right now, yeah. and apparently Van Vliet, he freezes on set. He stops singing, he freezes, and then he he straightens his tie, and he just walks off the edge of a ten foot stage, and lands on his own manager. Break his manager breaks his fall, uh, and the band plays the rest of this the rest of the whole set just instrumental. And uh, when they asked him about it, he said that he saw a woman in the crowd turn into a fish, and she started blowing bubbles. And then Ragooder just basically says, "Well, fuck this," and he quits <laughs> right there. It's like they're warming up for like what's supposed to be the biggest festival of their career. Like they got booked on this thing. It's going to it's going to put them in front of so many people, and like their warm up show, Van Vliet has a freak out can't even can't even finish the show because he sees a lady turn into a fish. Raikouder fucks off. <laughs> and they have to cancel the festival because they can't find a replacement for him in the amount of time. Not the festival, but they can't play. No, the they fe- can't they, yeah. they no, they don't cancel the festival. Yeah, yeah. Uh Captain Beefheart and his Magic yeah. Band cancels their appearance at yeah. the festival because like eventually they obviously they they find a replacement for him, but in that short span of time they couldn't replace one of the most talented members of the band yeah. and their guitar player. So that's why they didn't play the Monterey Pop Fest. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, Ry Cooter, if you don't know, went on to have a... He, still, he just released an album last week. Yeah. He, he's still having a, a very long and
0: uh, acclaimed career with tons of different people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you guys have seen movies, I bet, that he has done the soundtrack for. Oh, really? Would you guys like to guess a movie that Ry Cooter has done the soundtrack for? He's done over 20, and I know you've probably seen... Captain Ron. At at least one of these. No, not Captain Ron. (laughs) Streets of Fire. Streets of Fire. Boom. (laughs) Really? Ry Cooter uh, does uh, work on Streets of Fire. Do you want to guess another one that you might think of that would have a bluesy influence, too? Uh, Crossroads starring yes. Ralph Macchio.
2: Crossroads, yes. nice. <laughs>
0: uh, he also has done. Does he
2: wait? Does he like do Ralph Macchio's guitar work?
0: Uh, or does no. Ralph Macchio actually play in? No, that is. Is uh, it Steve Vai? Steve Vai does both parts. Does both of them? Yep, he does the double and his.
2: Man, also, so 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 Goodry, he, again. He's he's not he's not unexperienced. He's already been playing with Taj Mahal, but he's still only twenty. And to to twenty to have the professionalism as a twenty-year-old to be like, I don't care that we're playing Monterey next week. I'm out of this band. I don't need to put up with this shit. Just walk off
1: (laughs) the (laughs) stage.
0: This is a, it, it brings into that sort of a scope, which we'll get to f- fairly soon with like Black Sabbath and some of those other bands of like a very riff, the riffs riff o- oriented band. I'm into riffs. Yeah. Into that. And, and so. Oh, riff rock. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I always, um, riff I always, I always love how that, you know, seeing the beginning of of musical, uh, things, uh, happenings, uh, in in that riff rock is, yeah, mm-hmm. pretty cool. Also, if you guys, if anybody's listening to this and have not listened to, Race Bannon's version of Electricity, it is awesome. <laughs> I didn't I realize that, that they cover that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Bruce Vanna did a cover of Electricity. Oh, I guess we should do how do we feel about it? I'm a definite plus. Yeah, on um, this this album. Honestly, I mean, like
1: just, a, a, a upon like multiple listens, uh, yeah, I I'd, I'd put this in a plus
0: category. Yeah, uh, especially like I'd actually this. seen too. I know you're a Mr. Bungle fan, yeah. And I had seen that a lot of people kind of had no. If you were to trace a line back to early things, like. So a lot of people had had mentioned this, yeah, as, it, as being kind of like the. It, it would
1: definitely be Beefheart and Zappa, right? yeah, I and mean, they're, they're from the same like town, basically. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah. So. so Ben, what do you think?
0: Positive, yeah, I like it. I like it. I am. It's not, curious because we're going to get to the other. We're gonna one. We're going to get to the other one, and I'm I'm actually very cur- curious to see what I will think on a re-listen because right. I remember initially. Uh, I don't remember how long ago I listened to it, but it, it's been at least five years. And... All I can remember
2: is Frownland, and I <laughs> and I don't like Frownland. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. Stop yelling at me and put your instruments down.
0: <laughs> but for this one, you're on the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 this, is, this is rock and roll. I
1: like rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would say uh, go, going back to uh, maybe... Six or seven episodes ago, the uh, uh, I, I felt the same way about that Zappa record. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not the biggest fan of like the the later works, but good God, that that's a that's a solid like uh, the, first the initial
0: concept. It seems yeah. Of, yeah of these yeah.
2: Is it weird that they're wearing suits on the on the album cover?
0: Like they look like I, a bunch of clean cut dudes you want to take home to mom. I found it. I found it very strange that they they, for being such a, you know, kind of strange psychedelic. I mean, it does have that fish eye.
1: Are they mods? At this uh, point, it, it's this? got the fish eye. but, oh, yeah, it's like but fish it does. Fish on some mods.
0: It does seem like more like a yeah. Almost as if they were trying to present them as an English R and B group, like Brit band. Oh. You know, yeah. I can see some marketing going in into that sort of like. It's a mix between the uh, Beatles and uh, the Birds. <laughs> How well did this record do? Uh, did it do well at all? Did it, it, did it was chart? Cr- it was critically acclaimed. But didn't chart. Yeah, no. I don't think it ever charted. It had uh, it had
2: famous fans. Like there's a the, the album came with a, a bumper sticker, and there's pictures of like uh, like John Lennon, George Harrison, other famous people like in their houses where you can see like the bumper sticker behind them
1: huh
2: you know whether or not like they were swagged out stickers who who knows but uh, it was actually a pretty ingenious marketing campaign to sell it with that sticker because now like like i said there's pictures around of tastemakers with the sticker
0: for this album so, uh, they, they presented electricity, and the label dropped them, saying it was too negative. A&M's Jerry Moss thought the content too risque for his daughter's ears. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely in a plus ear. <laughs> that, 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 that fucking rules. So his uh, Beefhearts albums would never enter the top 100 or in the U.S. or the U.K., the band would enjoy modest success with later works such as Trout Mask, uh, and been said that the Beatles admired the album. But that's it. Wow. Yeah, that uh, that that safe
1: is milk sticker. Kind of cool. Yeah, with the with the baby doll head. Yeah, man, that that's really neat. Yeah. Well, cool marketing and uh, a cool record, I think.
0: Yeah, dude. All right. Next time we'll be talking about Moby Grape self-titled album alright thanks y'all you're welcome
1: singing through you
0: to me thunderbolts caught easily shouts the truth peacefully